Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode 30. Welcome to today's show. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business full-time from their RV while traveling across the country. This podcast is a mixture of travel, entrepreneurship, and life on the road. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Paul and Nina from wheelingit.com. Paul is an active investor with a technology background, and Nina runs a very engaged RV blog that actually just surpassed 7 million views. Congrats, Nina. That's awesome. They have also been full-timing now across the country for over seven years in their RV. And today on the show, we talk about Paul. Paul and Nina's transition from high-stress technology jobs into traveling the country in an RV, why at first Paul didn't like RVing but eventually came around, how they've developed healthy spending habits while traveling, and Paul's ability to work as little as 10 hours a week, managing his portfolio of investments that pay for them to travel around the country. And before we get into today's show, I'm pumped to announce a new business that I just launched with a couple other full-time RVers called campgroundbooking.com. This is something I've mentioned in passing on this podcast, but I haven't really thoroughly explained. So I'm going to do that right now before we get into today's episode. Alyssa and I have been on the road now for almost three years, uh, somewhere between two and a half, three years. And one of the biggest pain points for us has been finding and reserving campgrounds online. A lot of RV parks don't have online reservation widgets and the ones that do, uh, it's typically a confusing and time consuming process. It just, they're clunky. It doesn't work well. And on top of this, there's no one centralized location where you can go to make a reservation, at any campgrounds across the country. So if I wanted to go to Austin and find a campground or if I wanted to go to somewhere outside of Boston or Maine or whatever, I couldn't just go to one website and say campsites near this area and then book a site there. There's review sites that kind of aggregate reviews and tell you where to go, but there's not the ability for that instant booking process like you can have with an Expedia or Hotels.com. And so this is the reason why we started working on this project. And while our end goal is to bring together the reservation process into more of a centralized location, we started with a really simple solution, which was to build a free software that allows campgrounds the ability to manage their parks and campgrounds and easily accept online reservations. So if you're an RV park or campground, on listening to this, or if you understand this pain point as much as we do, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, just go to campgroundbooking.com. We've got a simple form on there and you can fill that out and, and shoot us a message. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Paul and Nina from Wheeling It. All right. Paul and Nina have been full-time RVing since 2010, having two incredibly high-stress jobs where they barely had time to see each other uh, back in the day. They decided to make a change. So going out and looking at RVs for the first time as a couple, they bought a Holiday Rambler on site. I believe that's what it was, right, guys? Yes, yep. it was. <laughs> and have been on the road ever since. Paul manages a site called investingforaliving.us, where he documents how he's able to continuously make smart financial decisions on the road while also increasing their portfolio of investments. And Nita runs a popular RVing blog that documents their travel since 2010 and as of a few days ago hit 7 million views. Congrats. Uh, thanks for oh, being thanks. on the show with me, guys. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that's exciting. Big landmark. So you guys are uh, camping in New York City right now, which is not what most people think of doing when they go to New York City. Yeah, we didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it kind of wasn't in our plans originally. We, we had some stuff come up with the cat that led us here, um, some health issues with the cat. So we ended up uh, just rerouting this way. And there's one RV park, one that is kind of within ferry distance to the city. And that's the one we went to. It's 
it's pricey. It's uh, kind of not very exciting as an RV park, but it's such a great location. Yeah, I mean, uh, Liberty Harbor State Park, I think I've talked about that on the show with other people before, too, because it's like, if you do want to go to New York City, it's the park to go to, even though it's, yeah. what are you guys paying, like 90 bucks a night? Yeah. Yep, $90 a night for yeah. water and electric. Yep. But but you've got a ridiculously awesome view, a ferry that's right there that can take you over to the city. So it's a sweet location. Yeah, it's you can't get much better. There's a, there's a light rail that takes you in as well. There's two ferries. I mean, you can't really can't beat the location. Yeah, and you get so you guys have been traveling with two cats and a dog. Yes. And so, ha- have you guys had to make a lot of cross country trips just for the animals, or is this like a <laughs> an outlying incident? I think this year has been the craziest year. We just had a lot of health issues come up with the pets this year. Uh, our dog uh, tore her ACL and had to have ACL surgery, TPLO surgery, and our cat got diagnosed with hypothyroidism and had to be treated for that. So. I think the rest of the years have not been that no, bad. No, it's the only year we've had to do it. And and obviously it's a choice. We could have taken care of these issues in wherever we would have been uh, camped for the most part. Uh, but we chose to go to this surgeon in uh, Sun Valley, Idaho for the dog, Polly, because he was the best surgeon apparently. Uh, he had done 6,000 of these surgeries. Wow. And we chose to come to a clinic here in New York for the cat. Uh, because it's the best clinic in the U.S. So we have one of the nice things about living in this lifestyle. We could make those choices to do this. Yeah, that that makes sense. And uh, so your story is really interesting to me, especially versus the people who I've interviewed on this podcast before, because you were essentially able to leave your jobs at a relatively young age, travel, and continue expanding the income that you guys had saved up through investments on the road. So for a complete noob on investment like myself, how like how have you guys made this possible? Um, that's a long story, but I'll try <laughs> to make it short. Um, well, I, it, investing for me has been a hobby for a long time. It wasn't my career choice. I, was, I studied electrical engineering, went into the technology industry. Actually, we both are engineers. Nina's a material scientist. And so we went into the tech field. That's where we met. We had good jobs, good incomes. Saved money a lot, saved as much as we could. Yeah, we were both very frugal, and that definitely enabled the next step of our lives. And it got to a point, um, as you as you sort of mentioned, very high stress jobs. We weren't seeing each other. We wanted a, a different option, and so we were able to sort of at least stop for a little bit. So at the end of two thousand five, while we were living in Hong Kong, that's where we were both working. We said enough. And so we said, well, let's stay in Hong Kong and figure out what we're going to do next. So, so we, were, we were able to do that, not make any money for a while. Uh, I was able to focus on getting more serious about investing. I went back to university in Hong Kong to get a master's in uh, investing, investment management. So it enabled me to do that. And so we sort of took a little hiatus, um, traveled around Asia, and then tried to figure out what we we're going to do next. And that's where the the idea for RVing, uh, having a mobile lifestyle came up and transitioned to the U.S. and then started RVing in 2010. Yeah, and I, I would have to add to that that I, I think RVing has really enabled you, Paul, because I, I, I admittedly don't do much of the investing, um, has really enabled him to uh, focus on investing and, and kind of prove to himself that he could develop these systems and um, actually, you know, sustain a lifestyle doing that. It's something he always wanted to do, but he never really had the time to invest <laughs> into <laughs> before. And um, 
and since being on the road, I think you you've really kind of blossomed as an investor from just yeah, being on the road. I've had time to focus on it. Yeah, and what and and like I said, I'm going to be asking questions that probably will make me sound really dumb because again, total noob on all of all of these things investing. I the extent of my knowledge is I'm currently listening to an audiobook of uh, Warren Buffett. And so I'm learning cool. just great place to start. <laughs> yeah. That that's what, that's kind of what I figured. So uh, I mean, what does this mean on a day-to-day basis? What are you doing that is investing? You know, are you sitting on the computer? Are you looking at stocks? Like, what does this consist of? So I am, um, I'm what they would call a quant, quant investor, a quantitative investor. It's also known as a systematic investor, or a mechanical investor. So basically, I, I work on uh, developing and writing algorithms. So I don't. So I guess the com- there's a saying that I like to use models over humans. Um, we're, we're, we have a lot of biases and we're subject to failure in a lot of our decision making. So, um, I work on training, the, t- t- telling the computer what to do and then the computer does everything for me. Okay. So, so, so for me during the, a typical week would be, I spend maybe on a Sunday or so, I spent maybe four or five hours uh, checking all the different systems and see what they're telling me to do for the following week. If I'm, I usually don't have to make anything changes. And then during the week, I don't do anything except further research, further reading to develop better systems, but nothing about checking prices and making decisions on a day to day basis of getting in and out, of, uh, of, of things. So at the most, at the most frequent, I will make a weekly decision more often monthly decisions, and and most often the systems just don't make any changes for months on end. So these are custom algorithms that you wrote uh, to basically analyze different stocks and investment Correct. opportunities, and then it, it automates it. Correct. Yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, you've based your algorithms off some really good books. Yeah. There's. I mean, obviously, it's, we you know, we all stand on shoulders of <laughs> of other people of giants, and so there's a ton of literature, a ton of uh, there's a whole, uh, you know, school of quant investing and some, there's some leaders in that field. And so, you know, reading their work and implementing their systems, um, there's all, all nowadays there's all kinds of websites and to help you do these things. There's tools, software tools available. Um, so yeah, that's how I started learning. But before that I was a fundamental investor, Buffett, you know, value stocks, buy and hold, and that works great, uh, especially when you don't have the time and you're working and it's it's a it's a thing on the side. You want the money to work for you. This is more of an active thing that I do just to try to cover our living expenses and grow our money. Yeah. So, I mean, what is it, zooming out a little bit, what is it that you love about investing? I mean, when you guys hit the road and, you know, y'all were had savings and you're traveling like you could have done anything. So what is it that from an early age really got you interested in investing and what has kept your interest in it? Well, I um, from a uh, from I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and businesses. And so that's kind of how it started. Right. So how to be a being an equity investor in these could all these kinds of different companies. And it's a great it's the best way to grow your wealth over the long term. So all that's interesting. Um, and also, then the second thing that was always interesting to me, it was that it, if you're successful at it after you save money and after you, you know, it's working for you, it enables a whole 
different world of freedom and independence that other careers uh, don't necessarily enable. Or it's not as easy. Right? So as long as I have a computer, I have a phone, not even a phone connection, as long as I have an internet connection somewhere, I can do what I do. And I always found that attractive, that I could live in my RV, Liberty, Har Liberty Harbor RV Park in New York City and do what I do. I could be living in uh, uh, Bangkok, Thailand, like I have some friends that do, and do this for a living. So I always, I always love that freedom aspect of this kind of um, job. And you guys, we talked about this on our, our call the other day, but you guys have more freedom, arguably, than almost all the other people that I've interviewed on this podcast because you – you know, you're only spending how, how many hours a week would you say you're spending on this? Uh, I probably spend of true, I guess of true, I've had to put quotes around at work. I would say maybe it's 10, 10 hours, but it's stuff I would do anyway, just because I'm interested in it, you know, so it's hard to, you know, so the, yeah, 10 hours and then maybe I'll read a bunch of stuff that's interesting to me that I would read anyway. So I, I don't include that in that 10 hours. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I watched a video of you guys, I think, with Cherie and Chris, where uh, uh, where Nina was talking about how sometimes she uh, just glazes over a little bit when you're talking about this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so we can. I don't know if that's still true or that, if that has grown, but we'll come. We'll come back to this uh, to this subject here in a minute. But as two people uh, who are in really high performing stress jobs, how is that transition going to being on the road and having this insane amount of freedom where you guys were together all the time? I mean, can you talk about that transition from a work and a relationship perspective and how, you know, how that transpired and all that? So sure. I mean, for us, it was an incredibly easy transition. Uh, the thing is, we actually worked together in the same company, in the same group for about uh, 10 years prior to actually um, going on the road. So we were living together. We were commuting together. We Sometimes we even had a cubicle right next to each other. So actually, we really, really like spending time together. And I do think that's a key thing for anybody that goes on the road together is you are going to spend a lot of time. So you should uh, enjoy your, you like your, your significant yeah. other. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when we went into the RV, I probably adapted the fastest. I, you know, the first day we were in the RV, I, I kind of felt like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. I love this lifestyle. I know I'm going to love it. Um, Paul adapted a, a little slower. You, you took a couple of months. Um, it took me about five or six months. Yeah. And you really weren't, you were really a little uncertain in the beginning. I was ready to quit at month five. Yeah. Really? Why is that? <laughs> I just had a hard time disconnecting from my previous community of, you know, technology people. You know, I kept in touch with all of them and Everyone always has an idea for a new startup, and <laughs> so they're constantly calling, well, let's do this. Well, why don't you come back, and we'll do this, and we'll go get some VC money, and we'll go do that. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So that was uh, – it took me a while to disconnect from that, and um, yeah, so it just it took a while to, to, to deprogram, I guess, would be maybe a word I would use. <laughs> yeah, and it also took us a while just lifestyle um, to figure out that we could stay anywhere other than a private RV park. Um, we kind of went into this a little bit uh, naively, I guess. We we bought one of the very first RVs that we saw. I, it was a really good deal, but it just we didn't, you know, we didn't, I guess, go looking all that much. 
Um, it's because the guy offered you a test drive, right? You just you just fell in love. Yeah, well, that definitely helped, and 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 I walked into it, and I'm like, yeah, I can live in this, <laughs> and you know, I think we negotiated for hours on it, and when we couldn't think of anything else to negotiate on, we we ended up buying it, and. We ended up with a really good rig, but it's a big rig. And when we first started out, we didn't think we could stay in anything other than private RV parks. Yeah, we were worried. <laughs> and we didn't. We hadn't learned about public parks. We hadn't learned about boondocking. We hadn't learned about any of that. And so the first couple of months staying in cramped private RV parks, I think, contributed to the fact that you really didn't enjoy the lifestyle. Yeah, it was so close to everybody. I was like, if this is what RVing is like, then I'd rather go back and live in my house in San Diego. Yeah. And so I think about month five, we finally finally started figuring out how to get more into nature, um, and that that really helped uh, just make the whole lifestyle more enjoyable. And then we also, you know, we figured out a traveling style, slowing down, especially after our first year, and all of that just contributed to helping us settle into the lifestyle. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Our first year on the road, we were we stayed in mostly. Uh, private parks as well and it just it's not the what you think of when you think of RVing you think of right you know the pictures of you guys out boondocking or pictures or stuff you know like not pictures I guess doing it you know what I mean you think of actually just being out in remote beautiful places still being connected to 4G um, if that's possible that's the that's (laughs) the that's the key there but uh, what would you say uh, you know i think that's interesting you know that nudge and that desire for the startups and you know to still be pursuing uh you know quote-unquote bigger things while you're out on the road so did that desire just get squandered did it get redevoted to investing uh what happened to it because you you had it for a while so so where did it go oh that's a good question um i think maybe it's i don't know postponed yeah i would say it's on ice i i I don't necessarily think that's something you'll ever completely give up there may be a time you go back to it yeah i really i really started to focus on you know for a while at least me i'm a sort of a planner and so i you know i would almost a lot of decisions i would say you know you just draw this linear line and say well i'm going to be doing this forever and then you know i started to say hey this is you know whatever you do is only temporary you have all this freedom now and independence, you can do whatever you want. What's the worst that can happen? You go back. So I sort of let go and started enjoying what we were doing. And as we discovered, you know, discovered more natural or nature camping and, and then also just met a whole bunch of people and developed this community through the, you know, social media and the internet, then things started saying, this lifestyle is amazing. You know, all this independence, plus all these friends and cool people we're meeting and all these great places we're seeing. It's like, well, yeah, I can postpone all that other stuff for later. Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, that's it, really. I mean, we don't necessarily have a time frame to our RVing. Uh, we yeah, might. we we don't look at this as a you know we're going to be RVing forever. Forever, we're not. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, we may go into a different phase of our life where we travel and live internationally again, or where we settle down somewhere for a while. Uh, you know. Yeah, our big thing is just being, you know, f- have the freedom to live the lifestyle we want and whatever, however that manifests itself. You know, and having that independence and not being tied to the corporate America or whatever, the cubicle lifestyle, um, being able to do what we want to do. And a lot of people have that. I mean, I, that, I view the, the whole tiny house house movement as an expression of that. And just, but you're not traveling, so that's okay. Uh, the nomad lifestyle is an, ex- an expression of the international lifestyle, people living overseas or living in sailboats. All that, to me, is an expression of the same sort of desire. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know, you guys were in y'all's career. Obviously, uh, we were in our careers for like eight months and you guys were in (laughs) y'all's for a bit longer than that. Um, Yeah, just over 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about in my mind when I think of if I would have stayed in that linear path in software and there's kind of like this natural progression, if I'm looking at a graph of it, you know, trending upwards, you know, like maybe I'm making more money, doing more projects. um, And there's this kind of path that you can look at other people and say, this is what my career could look like, you know, whether I started my own company or stayed in this business or whatever, you know, like there's bumps in salary, there's different credentials, whatever. Um, Do you guys feel like hitting the road, it kind of just like crumpled that piece of paper up with that graph on it and just said, you know, you kind of have to reinvent this and there's no really direct line yet for what this looks like? Yeah. I mean, that definitely, there's definitely, there was models out there. You know, I, I, I got a lot of inspiration from, um, there was this couple, um, Oh gosh, that's a while ago. This yes. is a long time. This is before, not, yeah. not, not before the internet, but people were publishing C, you know, CDs of, of, uh, content. So Billy and Acacia Casserdill, I think is their names, a retire early lifestyle dot or org or dot com. Yeah. We, we actually ordered their discs, their discs. And that's, <laughs> that was our first foray into this whole idea of of living a kind of more nomadic lifestyle and then of course as we got closer to our RVing time you know uh, there were people on the internet and uh, Technomedia for example those guys uh, were one of the first kind of young bloggers that we saw online that that popped up in our uh, as we were looking around for models um, we went on some of the forums, the RV forums, uh, at the time, generally an older crowd, but still there were a lot of models out there and some of them were still doing part-time work. Yeah. So there were examples and there was, you know, sort of for inspiration, um, out there, but it was definitely, you know, it's less, uh, there's definitely, like you said, they definitely crumple the piece of paper and say, well, okay, here we go. We're kind of winging it. And, and it, it's, it's, it's scary. I was scared of that. And, um, that's one of the reasons it took me a while to adapt where Nina, has kind of always done that in her life. Yeah. So for her, I'm more of the jumper <laughs> off the cliff kind of person. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always tell people to describe us as I'm great. I run around and I plan. I, I can look over the vistas and all that, and I run right up to the edge of the cliff and I stop. And then Nina's the one that comes from behind and pushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little morbid, but that's kind of what happens. <laughs> I love that. I think it's funny to meet couples because it, it just seems like there, so often there is that dynamic between one and the other. I'm very much like the let's go do this. And Alyssa is very much the one that's like, okay, I'm going to have our whole first year route planned out before we ever hit the road, or this is exactly right. what we need. Um, so talk, let's talk about community. Cause you guys brought that up. And I think that's a really important point because uh, essentially when people hit the road, it's like you're leaving behind your entire community and not that everyone is going to shun you for living in RV or anything like that, but I don't know, it just becomes harder to relate. I don't know if you guys felt this way, but being able to meet people on the road like you guys or a lot of the friends that we've met and got to hang out with while we're traveling. So how have you guys went about building and replacing that community and being intentional about that? So it's it's really a lot of it happened through the blog um, and the various social media that we have surrounding that. It, it started with the blog. Um, you know, when I started it, in 2010, I, I think only my parents clicked on it. But then after <laughs> after a couple of, I, I think maybe six months, I started getting comments from random people I'd never met, which was very exciting. 
And then now, years later, as it's grown in size, um, we now meet people through the blog, and we have interactions with other bloggers, and we meet up along the way. Um, and you know, recently we started on Instagram as well, and and now we meet people through the Instagram. Um, so a lot of the community has evolved around that, um, and it's been surprising how many people we've met through those avenues, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we're way more social than we ever were when we were living, oh, living in our true. house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, really. It's, it's. I mean, we knew our neighbors when we were living in uh, Sticks and Bricks, but, uh, I mean, on the road, you practically know everybody. It's it's kind of interesting. It is, it's strange, too, because it's like, if you see somebody with a decal on their RV, that typically means they're young enough to have a blog or they're active, right. and so there's a lot of, you know, relatability there. And it's like every time we go into a national, we were in Crater Lake a few weeks back. We hauled butt to get back to Texas from Crater Lake. But we were within like two days, we passed three people that we knew, like one person that we were just like dumping the RV when we got there. And they're like, Keith, I was like, hi, we, you know, and then we <laughs> just, they, you know, we had followed each other on Instagram. So it's, yeah. it's right. funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. We actually, uh, funnily enough, most people tend to recognize the dog. Really? <laughs> um, before they recognize us or the RV, because the RV is kind of generic, our RV. Some people have cooler RVs than us, but they recognize the dog because I put so many pictures of the dog on the blog. And then they recognize Paul because I have quite a few pictures of him, and I'm the last <laughs> person they recognize because I have practically no pictures of myself. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. That the dog's funny. famous, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so traveling in y'all's RV for the past seven years, how do you guys feel like this nomadic lifestyle uh, with the blog and what you've done with investing has uh, pushed you push yourselves to to grow as people, if that makes sense? And, you know, like, how do you feel like it, this lifestyle has challenged you in new and exciting ways? Because I feel like as people who are really, you know, were successful in their careers beforehand, you would need this life to, to push you in different ways. So how do you feel like it's done that? So for me, it, it was more on the creative side, having having been in science and engineering my entire life. Um, and I once I decided to get out of that, I dabbled a bit in various creative endeavors um, when we were living abroad, theater, photography, and then getting into the blog, it was about writing and photography. And it took me a while. I mean, it took me a few years. My, my early blogs are kind of lame. <laughs> And, they weren't too bad. You know, I read some of them. Oh, they weren't too bad. That's good to know. Um, but it's kind of developed over the years. And, and now probably I spend way more time than I want to on the blog. But it's it's become a creative and, and occupational endeavor for me. And I don't think I would have become, uh, I don't want to say as good a writer, but I, I don't think I would have developed as a writer and photographer had I not had that. And for you, Paul, I think a lot of it's, I mean, you've really developed in your investing. Oh, yeah. For me, I, in a way, it exposed me to a whole different career, a whole new set of people, a whole new industry that I would have never known. So that's been a, a mind expanding. But from even just a personal standpoint, experiencing different cities, all the different nature around the country, it just I think it makes you a, just a, a, a better, more complete person, right? To being in nature and at peace and seeing all the beauty and meeting all these different people from all different walks of life, which... I, we wouldn't have met or maybe probably wouldn't have met um, in our previous lives. Technology, any careers tends to be a little bit insular in, in that if you stick in that industry forever. 
so it's just been um, it's good. It's good to expand your your horizons. And I, I do think it's interesting that we've met so many people doing so many different things on the road. Like Paul said, you you stay in an industry and it's kind of insular. Everybody you meet is in that industry. Every you know, uh, everybody's doing the same thing. And then being on the road, we've met people doing all kinds of things. I mean, craftsmen, editors, um, photographers. Uh, you know, careers that. I mean, you maybe we knew existed, but we just we'd never actually experienced people doing them before. And so it's 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 mind expanding to see what's available out there. And how people are making their lifestyles work, which I guess is why your uh, your podcast is cool too, right? Because <laughs> that's part of what you explore. Yeah, just yeah, figure it's it's so interesting too because uh, being out on the road, it's like we meet people who are so different from us in so many different ways. As far as just these aren't people that if we were in the same industry or even worked in the same company, maybe hang out with because it's like right. we just work together. But because right. we have so much in common and we don't get that interaction all the time when we meet up on the road, it's like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common because we live in RV, we travel full time, we quit our jobs, made all these sacrifices that, and, and we get it. And we, but on the personal level, and maybe even what we do for work, it's so different uh, that like it's so like what you guys had said is really interesting because you're getting to meet people from so many different walks of life that you wouldn't have met otherwise. So it's interesting. What would you guys say is one of the biggest misconceptions, if any, of people who are quote unquote semi retired uh, or younger and traveling around the country in RV? If you guys have have ran into that. Oh, I think the two biggest misconceptions are either you are fund money, like trust, trust money, trust fund baby. Um, or you're just doing nothing. Um, and I, I, I think the majority of young people that we need, including ourselves are doing some kind of work on the road and are actually making a living. They're not necessary. It's not money they inherited or, or, uh, something they fell into. Um, people are working really hard on the road. Um, and they're just in careers that make it possible or they've sought out uh, careers or, or lines of work that make it possible. Um, or they've saved up really hard and worked really hard for a while and now they're doing it, taking it easy temporarily, traveling the country and then they'll go back to a different lifestyle. So, yeah, those are a couple of misconceptions we run into. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm in, I'm interested in y'all's philosophies just on spending less. I saw that y'all had done some work camping gigs in a lighthouse that looked awesome by the way. And that y'all <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looked really cool. But how have you guys just went about being intentional on spending less? You know, talk to me about just y'all's philosophy on, on spending money. So spending less <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> I was trying to think of creative way it's well that we spend less. Um <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, spend less stupid. No. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, well, it's kind of us by nature. I mean, early on, I guess we realized, or I, I knew or I realized that it was about the experiences, not about the stuff. And, you know, through some of the experiences I had as a kid, you know, my family were Im immigrants from Cuba. They came with nothing. So, you know, that, so the, the number one, the work ethic, that frugality of, uh, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, that came early on for me. It's kind of sort of came with my background. It's similar for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, my family were, were expats, so I learned frugality from them, and I set off very young on my own. And so 
I think we had that in common from the beginning. We never spent a lot of stuff on suits and things and, and accumulations. Um, and being on the road, we've just continued to do the same thing. We do, uh, we do look at uh, spending less on camping when we can. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll check out, we'll, we'll, we'll use Passport America or we'll boondock when we can. Um, and we also do that because we enjoy it. Um, and then on occasion, you know, we'll do work camping. We like to work camp in summer because we're able to settle down somewhere really nice and not have to deal with summer reservations. Um, and we enjoy the work camping. It's, it's kind of through the lighthouses, we're able to give back a little bit. Yeah, we, we enjoy, enjoy that aspect we, of hosting. We enjoy the history. And so it's kind of a win-win. It's, it's, it's something that we find fairly easy to do, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you guys are work camping, and I'll just say it's really smart to do that for the summer reservations because the last two summers, this is our third summer on the road, and the last two summers have just been, I feel like, gr- gradually getting more difficult to find yes. uh, reservations just because the maybe it's the increase in popularity of RVing, but the last two years... Totally agree. Um, I know they're also, the RV industry has pushed more RVs in the past two years than ever, like two record-breaking right. years. So anyway, uh, all that being aside, how do you guys find these these work camping gigs? Uh, or how do you guys go about getting them? And, and how many hours per week are you guys typically doing them during the summertime? So usually the most um, states or authorities have like a website nowadays where you can get these uh, gigs. So for example, in the Northwest, we've done our, our gigs in Oregon. Through the Oregon State Parks. And Washington, through the Washington State Parks. So contact the state park and parks, like Oregon has a centralized, Oregon's great. They have a centralized sort of system. They have, they publish their jobs and there's all different kinds of jobs from interpretive hosts, like being a lighthouse docent, like we do, to the more traditional stuff, like being a camp host. Uh, we like the interpretive hosting, um, and usually, for example, we get a, you get a free campsite with full hookups, and in return, we both put in about 15, 15 to twenty hours. Fifteen a week. to twenty hours a week. And with good. interpretive hosting, it's uh, it's on a fixed hourly basis because you're basically doing tours of lighthouses, and the lighthouse is only open from you know hour to hour, you know, a certain number of hours. And so it's a fixed number of hours that you do on a fixed schedule. Um, that's something we like because then we can work in our the rest of what we do, the blog, the investing. We can work around that. The pets. Um, the pets. Posting <laughs> uh, can be more of a fluid thing where you might have to be there more during the day or, or you maybe have more flexible hours. Some people prefer that. Um, so it's it's just whatever, whatever you prefer. But and, we, we like the interesting Yeah, and stuff. some states – there's certain limits that we won't do. Like some states will say, okay, camp host, uh, free campsite, but you got to put in 30 hours a week. And then we're like, well, then we're like, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's too much. It, yeah. It's too much. It varies a lot by state, by position. And, and we've never done any paid camp hosting either. There's people that do that too. Um, but it varies a lot. I mean, California asks you for much longer commitments and much longer hours than, for example, Oregon or Washington do. Um, so for us, we, we really don't want to spend more than 20 hours a week each. Uh, or that's our goal anyway when we work camp. And ideally, we don't want to commit to any, any more than a month at one spot. Some like some national forest hosting positions want three months or six three months. Three or six months, yeah. Like, no, sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, and California can probably have people need to come in longer and things like that because it's so competitive because people want to go to California, I guess. We've talked right. about how totally. we we collectively love San Diego. <laughs> right, exactly. We love San Diego. Yeah, so talking about other projects, Nina, and going back to the blog, has the blog become a source of income for you guys uh, while, you got, while you're traveling? Uh, yeah, I mean, not a huge amount of income, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's grown. It, it, I, I really didn't start doing any monetization until a couple of years ago. And I, I really only started doing that because the blog got so big that I couldn't host it on a free hosting system anymore. And so we put it onto a paid hosting system and, you know, put on some monetization to hopefully cover the cost. And yeah, it's grown a little bit. It's, yeah, it's not huge money, but it's not bad. Yeah, it, it creates a little bit of passive income and, and things like that. So, Paul, going back to investing, if there's some beginner resources on people for investing, uh, what would you recommend they check out? It depends. Most people interested in investing want to save money, build you know their, their retirement portfolio, their wealth for the long run. So I would recommend... Um, First and foremost, there's there's just a lot of beginner books. Um, anything published by Vanguard uh, is a great resource. They are the biggest sort of uh, passive um, mutual fund company in the world. They're the cheapest company in the world. They're the best investment managers in the world. Um, so anything they publish is good. John Bogle, their founder, has published some great books about passive investing, low-cost investing, building wealth over the long term. So that's a great resource. Um, for those interested in more active stuff, like you, you know, want to pick some stocks of so value investing, you know, like you're reading Warren Buffett is, you know, the, the, probably the greatest investor that has ever lived. Um, you know, he would recommend, he has a quote saying, read 500 pages a day if you want to be a great investor. Um, most people don't have that time as they have jobs. <laughs> so turning your, you know, turning your portfolio over to professionals, low cost, passive would be the way to go. Vanguard's a great source. Anything that talks about passive investing, low cost investing is, um, is where I would point people to. That makes people sense. can go to my, I have sort of a list of, of books that I published a long time ago. Uh, that's on there, like a beginner's list an intermediate list and an advanced list of books for people who want to get more advanced in investing. They're on my blog somewhere. Awesome. We'll, <laughs> we'll link up to it in the show notes for people to go check it out. What would be the minimum amount of savings that you would recommend people have before they hit the road? And I know this is purely speculative and it's going to be different for everyone based off their income. But if you guys just had to say like you wouldn't recommend somebody hitting the road that's younger or whatever with less than this amount of savings. Yeah, it depends. Like you said, it depends a lot, but there's rules of thumb. So, for example, if you wanted to never have an income producing job again, <laughs> so somebody you know who's looking to, okay, I don't want to work again. How much money do I need? Um, it's obviously based on how much you spend, but the rule of thumb is you need, you can spend 4% of your money every year and have it last for 30 years. So, usually this advice is for people approaching retirement, but that's a good rule of thumb. So if you spend $40,000 a year, then the rule of thumb is you need a million dollars, which is a lot of money. Yeah, it's the 4% rule, yeah. <laughs> the 4% rule, that's the advice for you know people approaching retirement. You want your portfolio to last for 30 years in any market environment, any type of return environment, no other income, um, then, then you can spend 4% of that money and have it last 
for 30 years. Reason, reason, reasonably assured. It's worked, every, it's worked all throughout history. Yeah, including the Great Depression. Including and, the Great Depression. Yeah. So um, that's not a position for a lot of people for being, especially younger people. So then I would I will look at it's all just streams of income or legs on a stool. I like to look at it. You know, what's what's a reasonable stream of income you can develop in X amount of time, whether it be through blogging or through whatever career, online job, um, service that you provide, and then maybe you can supplement that with savings as a second sort of you know leg of the stool, and then cam posting and living frugally is sort of a third leg of the stool. So I think most younger people need some type of uh, work income plus savings plus living frugally. I think if you combine all those three, um, you can have uh, a reasonable chance of making it work. Yeah, I, I love that. And talking, like one of the first episodes I did was with a couple uh, named Adam and Lindsay Newburn, and Adam's a CPA, and he basically brought up this idea of their, you know, their financial runway on the road, which is similar to just like a startup's financial runway, which is like burn rate, and how much you have in savings. So like how much am I spending on a month to month basis? So if I have uh, $10,000 and I'm spending $2,000 a month, if I don't bring any money in for the next uh, five months, then I can only travel for five more months. And so the idea is spend less, try to find alternative streams of income that can keep adding on to that amount. Uh, And you don't have to obviously go that low, but it's just kind of that philosophy. That makes sense. Yeah, and we've we've also met people that have had, that have gone on the road and said, we have X pool of money. We're going to do it for X amount of years, and then we're going to go back. And that's that's also a viable option as well. I mean, the, the go back meant for them to go back for a different, you know, different sort of careers and living frugally. But they had a you know a pool of money. They knew they could fund the RV lifestyle for X amount of years, and then they were going to go back to sticks and bricks and figure it out to continue their their, their continue their lifestyle. Yeah, that makes sense. When Alyssa and I hit the road, we basically didn't we didn't yet have a, a firm idea what those extra streams of income were going to be, uh, right. and so we basically said, "Hey, uh, we have I think it was like twenty something thousand in savings, which not bad for two twenty three year olds." And so yeah, we bought the bad. RV, and then we had uh, basically said we're only willing to spend ten thousand dollars after buying the RV on the road, uh, and so this will last us. We I think we said seven months, uh, and the hope was to go out and hustle enough to find alternative streams of income to supplement the lifestyle, so we didn't have to reach the end of that financial quote unquote runway. Uh, right. And so I mean, and we were luckily able to do that, and luck and through different ways, and a lot of that was just being luckily and and the fact that we're able to do that in this generation because of the internet and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, the internet is, is huge. And I, I do think just to add to that, there's, there's this idea that if you stop working a corporate job or you stop working your career, that you're basically looking at retirement. And then a lot of people look at early retirement, think, okay, that means you're doing, you're doing nothing. It's kind of, there's like a bi, um, you know, a bipolar viewpoint. It's either you're working or you're, you're doing nothing. And I, I think most people in the younger community do something in between it. There's all variations of in between where you might not necessarily be working the corporate job, but you'll be making some kind of income stream. Maybe you're doing something off savings. Um, and like you said, the internet makes that possible. So I think the idea of just early retirement as a thing where you, you drop off from one job and do something else is 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 antiquated, and a lot of 
people now are looking for financial flexibility and freedom, not necessarily early retirement. Yeah, absolutely. So the the last question that I would have for you guys is, I ask this in each episode, is what does success look like in this lifestyle for each of you? Oh, gosh, life enjoyment, I think. Yeah, for, 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 for me, it's being able to live the life we want to live, whether that be in an RV, whether that be in a tiny house, whether that be living in Thailand, whether that be traveling in an RV in Europe, whatever the expression of that lifestyle is, is if I can choose that kind of life that I want to be and have, then, and then, then that's, that's happiness. That's, that's what it, that's what, that's what it is for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about spending time with each other, spending time with our pets, spending time with family, having the, um, ability to be flexible about all those things and then having life experiences. It's, it's, I mean, in the end, I think it's all about what you experience in life. Um, and you know, as long as you're financially able to sustain all that, um, I, I think that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast with me. Where can people learn more about you guys? Well, for me, anything investing related, uh, investing for a living.us. I don't publish a lot. <laughs> but every once in a while, a couple times a month usually, um, I do. And uh, there's a lot of his, uh, history there that you can go read. And uh, for me, it's the blog wheelingit.us. Um, and uh, I do publish a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, her blog, she works a lot. Nina, Nina works a lot. <laughs> I work way more for way less. Anyway, um, but uh, – yeah, that's that's where you can find us. And we're also on Instagram, Wheeling It Paul, Wheeling It Nina. Um, we got a little bit of YouTube going on, but but not much. No. Mostly Instagram and the In, blogs. Yeah. yeah, and your blog is just – people rave over your blog. I mean, looking at all the comments, you have one of the most engaged blogs I've ever seen. Oh, well, th- oh, <laughs> thank awesome. you. I, 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 I love the engagement. I love my <laughs> blog readers. So I, it, it's part of what drives me to keep going. So – um, well, thank, thank you very much for yeah, having us for on having this. Us. This was awesome. Yeah, of course. Thank yeah. you guys again and enjoy New York and hopefully we get to see y'all out on the road sometime soon. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on y'all's travel schedule and, uh, we'll meet up sometime. I'm sure. All right. Sounds great. Heath. All right. Bye guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, if you want to head over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 30, episodes spelled out and the number 30, you can grab all the links that we mentioned in today's podcast. Go say hi to Paul and Nina. They're awesome. I definitely recommend you check out their stuff if you haven't already. And if you've been enjoying this podcast while you're working or walking or driving or whatever it is that you're doing right now, I would love to hear from you in iTunes without sounding like a broken record. I know I've asked this at the end of several podcasts uh, and it's because it's so important. I would love to hear from you in iTunes via a review. Just an honest review. It takes two seconds. Go to iTunes, the RV Entrepreneur, type that in, click on ratings and reviews, and just drop a review in there. And every time anybody does that, I read them and I'm grateful for them and it helps more people find the show. And so thank you guys again for tuning in and I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.